Welcome everyone to this week's episode of The Driven Few with Al Hammond, where we align with those driven individuals to really get under the hood to learn as to how they get it all done with family and business. I'm your host, Al Hammond, and I am blessed and honored to work with those high-performing leaders, coaching them how to dive in and get it all done, excelling as a leader in business, in their family, and in their faith. Introducing our guest today has been a long time coming. I'm honored and blessed to be able to introduce a dude that has easily and very quickly become one of my best friends, one of my favorite people on this planet, a man that epitomizes real and raw and organic, someone that I often chat with multiple times a day, you know, as someone who's really become a staple and a pillar, a go-to in my life, spiritual advisor, coach, leadership team member in our King's Council program father of five, husband to the beautiful Mama Lucy inside and out, Mr. Christian Edwards. Welcome to the show, brother. Thanks, man. Thank you for that introduction. And as you're even introducing me, dude, I'm tearing up already because I'm just so proud of you and this podcast. And you know what you've meant in my life, as you just described me as one of your best friends, man. I, I hold you so close to my heart. And you are one of my dearest friends in the world. So it's such an honor to be on this show with you. And bro, I'm so proud of you that that your voice is getting out because I know that your voice has changed my life. You've spoken so much life into me. So I can't wait till your voice reaches the multitudes and lives are impacted and and just uh, people who are going through stuff, struggles, where strongholds could be loosed and generational curses could be broken and Oh, man, I, I'm just super pumped for you. So thank you for having me today, brother. Man, I received that, brother. This is what I'm talking about, guys. You know, that's when I mentioned real and raw. This is a man that leads with his heart. You know, and these are the people that I want to align with and do life with. And I'll say that, you know, as we as we get ready to dive in here, one quick story that I want to share is is really about how I met Christian. You know, you know we, we talk about tears and real and raw, powerful emotion. So Christian and I both happen to be members, leadership team, and coaches on King's Council. And I know I've shared that and will continue to share that as that's something that's near and dear to my heart. But I can't help but think back to the first time I remember meeting Christian. And I say meeting in, in air quotes, proverbially meeting Christian who was on a Zoom call. I remember exactly where I was. I remember exactly what I was doing. And I'm obviously a passionate dude. For those of you that, that don't necessarily know me, I go zero to hero really quick. So when something is very much on my mind or my heart, it's somewhat challenging for me to sit still. So I say that to say there's probably, I don't know, 100, 150 of us on a Zoom call. And I remember getting up to walk around. And at the time, the call was on my laptop. So instead of just walking around on my phone, I was literally walking around with this big laptop on a Zoom call. And I was dead smack dab in the middle of sharing a story or something that was speaking to me at the time. And I kid you not, I remember seeing this dude with this big, burly, cool looking beard. I was like, first of all, how, did, how, how does one even acquire something like that? But real talk, <laughs> I remember stopping mid-sentence and just looking at this dude. And for some reason, God highlighted you to me, man. And I remember looking at all the faces in there and I zero down and dialed into you. And it was just like, unbeknownst to me, I just was like, man, I don't even know you, but I'm going to tell you right now, like you and I are going to do life together. You guys, you and I are going to be best friends, man. And, and keep in mind, like even through the personal development, the coaching, the mentorship, what have you that I've gone through, I'm still not necessarily that kind of dude that's just going to volunteer that information organically, but it was beyond me. And I should have known then, man, that that was a divine alignment. And I, I true, truly believe that. I mean, to, to the point where it was almost weirded me out, if, I, if I'm going to be completely honest, where I was just like, I've never, never necessarily felt <laughs> that way, you know, about a, right. another friend, another man, especially someone that I just met, man. But it was on my mind and very much on my heart to let you know that. And speaking that into existence is something that absolutely unequivocally came to fruition, man. So, I love you for that, brother. I love you back on me. And that first time when you said my name and the way 
you looked at the screen, man. It it, it is strange because I had never before King's Council, I had never even been on a Zoom call before. But to be a part of this coaching group and to get to know people as organically as possible through a Zoom screen. And then, you know, we connect by phone and FaceTime. And I didn't think I didn't think I would ever call somebody one of my best friends in the world just from meeting them over a Zoom screen, doing life with them via FaceTime and whatnot. But I remember that day, man, when you just stopped dead in your tracks and you called my name. And to me, you know, I, I'm new to the the tribe, new to the coaching game. And I know Steve Weatherford and Steve Weatherford mentions Al all the time. That's my right hand man. And so for you, I'm looking up to you already just because I look up to Steve in such a way where, you know, Super Bowl trophy aside, physical fitness aside, you know, magazine covers aside, the heart that he has for Jesus and the heart that he has for others is what drew me to him and is why I joined King's Council Coaching. And for him to speak to, speak about you with such high regard and such high esteem, I'm like, all right, Al's the type of dude that I want to roll with. So before you and I had ever connected that first Zoom call, you just stopped dead in your tracks and called my name out and said, I want to be your friend. We're going to do life together. That just meant the world to me. And I knew God was in the midst of that 100%. I knew God was in the midst of that. But to then go from there, if you remember, we shortly after that, we got on our first FaceTime conversation. And that conversation was two and a half hours long. And that conversation absolutely changed my life because you're a guy who I believe I was decent, maybe good at giving honor, right? Like I I think that without even knowing, I mean, I'm super intentional about it now. So I've gotten better about giving honor where honor is due, but I believe with the heart that I have, and we'll get into my story a little bit, how, you know, nine years ago, I was just radically transformed and I went from drug addict junkie to man of God and married the woman who led me to the Lord, became father to her five kids. And we had had a, a fifth of our own. We'll get into that. But for you to be somebody who who showed me not just how to give honor in such an excellent way, but to receive honor. And I was somebody who didn't receive honor because I kind of saw myself as this meek and lowly Christian who, you know, if I receive any sort of honor, that would that would come off as prideful. But you actually showed me how to receive honor in such a way where it's actually almost in a sense, I'm giving honor to you by receiving the honor you're bestowing upon me and receive it and not think of myself as this meek and lowly Christian where I got to, you know, you know, just harp on humility all the time, but to receive in such a way where, no, this man is telling me what my value is, is telling me what my worth is to him and his personal life, what my value is to the world. And for me to actually sit there and receive it, say, yeah. And again, not in a boastful way, not in a prideful way, but to receive the honor in a way where God would be proud Mm -hmm. that I received the honor. You showed me how to do that, man. So I, I appreciate that. And I know you've done that for so many other men and women in this group. And I want to honor you for that because that, that changes lives, man. It changes lives because it allowed me to to go from that, that feeling of, you know, sometimes in the the Christian community, you mistake humility. You call yourself being humble, but it's really, you're kind of allowing yourself to stay stuck in this, this sense of Christian impoverishment where it's like, oh no, you know, I, I don't want to receive that. I, you know, and it's almost like a false humility. And, and honestly, I thought I was just being as humble as I could be, but what I was doing, I was really blocking the blessing that God was, was showing me and the blessing that others were bestowing upon me Mm. by giving me honor and giving me praise. And, and again, not praise in such a way where I'm better than anybody else, but to know who I am, to know the, the value that I have, the worth that I have. And it shifted my perspective of, all right. Here I am. I'm this hospital maintenance guy, and I'm involved in this coaching group now with guys like Steve Weatherford, Riley Meek, the the hundred million dollar man, Scott Thomas, homeboy got a Rolls Royce sitting in his garage, Al Hammond, custom home builder, you know. Like, and I'm looking. <laughs> all right, I'm I'm plunging toilets on, on Tuesdays and Wednesday nights. What am I doing here? But 
you and Steve, and uh, it was so genuine. The the hearts that you have, it and Riley as well to to allow people to know their worth, not just in the eyes of you, but in the, most importantly in the eyes of God. And the fact that you guys could kind of have that reflection of God's perspective, it just shows the the men that you guys are. And it's amazing, man. You are the type of men that will transform this world. Hundred percent, man, dude, man, I received that, brother. You know, and and you know, and I, I I suspect now multiple people in my life to kind of further speak to what you just said are probably like, hey, what's going on with Al? What is what is what's going? What's this dude all about? And my honestly, candidly speaking, to be completely vulnerable and transparent here, they're probably like, what the hell does this dude think he's doing? Because I wasn't always the same, quote unquote, Al that I am now. And I, and I say that not to put myself in some grandiose spectrum, but honor wasn't something that was ever on the top of my mind. Because one, I mean, quite candidly, it was like growing up in the Midwest, it was always competition. You versus me, alpha versus alpha. Not necessarily the win-win that we can all win but it was like hey we can win-win until we get to a threshold but once that threshold's met i'm going to do whatever it takes to get that win and if that's at the cost of you or the relationship of of you or whatever it is it was kind of like sorry about you and then i i remember going through a season in my life where men came into my life like steve weatherford like yourself that helped me edify and validate the power behind honor and giving someone honor. And this is something that echoes through the halls of my brain on a daily basis, dude. And I, and I know that you know that because you literally walk that out as well. And, and that is the ability to say, listen, when you give someone honor, it unlocks them. Right. And it allows them to put themselves in a position where they can de-shield and take their proverbial mask off and you can get to the real and the raw organic conversations that actually make an impact. Yeah. Not the BS fluff of, Hey man, I like your hair today or cool shoes, bro. Yeah. That's, that's giving someone honor, but that's surface level, like genuinely start looking for that. And then what happens is, is as you do that, your reticulator activating system in your head starts to change. So when I say reticulator activating system, not to segue here, but it's like, man, I just bought you know, a, a black Denali. Now, every time you drive down the road, you're going to see a black Denali. And it's like, oh, man, everybody's got the same car that my wife has or I have now. And that's your reticulator activating system. The same logic applies and works with, with how you work with your mindset. So giving someone honor it then becomes very, very easy and genuine to do. Even when the other person that's receiving it, you can know. I mean, I can see when I give guys honor, it's almost like extremely awkward for them because they don't like they haven't grown up with right. that. They don't necessarily know what that means. So I say that to say receiving that honor, like you just said, man, is something that I had to learn to do, too. And I, and I learned over time, man, when someone is sowing those seeds into you, seeds of honor and love and respect, the very first thing that I always say is I received that. Because I want them to know that I received those seeds that you've sown into me 110%. And that means something to me. And I'm not just dismissing that. Because, again, as a competitor, as a quote-unquote alpha male, we're taught to, all right, the trophy is the trophy. What's Roger at? Sack up and let's go to the yeah. next one. But there's no, we'll say, glory in your ability to, to stay in the honor, man. So guys like you have helped me continue to do that. I want you to know that that's definitely back back and forth. And one of the things, man, before we get into this, and I've shared this about a few other people, you're the type of dude, man, that makes, I don't want to say religion, but the relationship with God inviting and cool. You know, and I certainly don't want to speak in a negative connotation about anybody else, regardless of religion, whether that's Christianity, Judaism, Islam, whatever the case may be. They're is a lot of focus on the actual ritualistic acts, so to speak, of religion, but not a whole lot of focus on the actual relationship right. with God. Like, what is that relationship like? Dude, I can't tell you how many times I've been on a call with you and I've seen you speak that into 
existence into and over someone. And it's not even something that they may be having a life catastrophic event, just a small course correct or paradigm shift to where you just throw it out nonchalantly to talk about that. And then you can just see the aha moment, like the, like the bulb where it's like, all right, man, I, I really should be focusing on this and I'm, and I'm focusing on that. So honor and respect to you, brother, for being able to do that and speak that into and over other men and, and pulling that honor and respect out of them to be able to instigate that, man. Well, I receive that, brother. I, I really do. And I'm able to do that because that's who I am, because I got radically saved and delivered from a drug addiction, man. And it was my wife, Lucy. She wasn't my wife at the time because no way she would have married uh, a deadbeat junkie unbeliever for sure. But she came into my life in my late twenties mm. and we became really, really quickly became great, great friends. And she would come to tell me once I actually surrendered to Christ and got saved and got sober, delivered from my addiction. She came to tell me that when I first came into her life, God spoke to her and God was telling her through loving kindness, will I draw thee? And she knew what that meant. And that was God was using her to get to my heart. This woman had so much patience with me. I mean, I wasn't a good dude. You and I, we talk a lot about the past, our, our histories, the kind of the, the old ways that we had and we could relate a lot on a lot of things, mm. but I wasn't a good dude. I hated myself. Therefore I hated everybody else around me. I truly hated everybody. I alienated everybody that was in my life, all my family members. I mean, I think about my mother who did nothing but love me and nurture me and care about me. I treated her like garbage, man, absolute garbage when I was in the depths of my addiction. And my addiction came about I, at the age of 16. I herniated a disc in my back. Um, I was a basketball player, played at St. Benedict's Prep in Newark, New Jersey. I just transferred in for my junior year, you know, most important year, really, when it comes to college recruiting. And I knew that I began I'd have the opportunity to play in college, which was really my dream. I love basketball, but I didn't even have aspirations of the NBA. I just wanted to play in college, get my degree in criminal justice, um, get the attention that came with it for sure, because I love the attention. And, you know, I want to be a cop like my father was. He was a highly decorated <laughs> officer in the North Police Department. And, you know, maybe it was like, all right, if I get my degree, maybe I'll get a federal job. But that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to walk in my father's footsteps. And I injured my back. It was actually the last practice before the first game of the season, junior year, and herniated a disc in my back. We went to the surgeon. The guy was the team doctor for the Jets. So I was like, all right, this guy knows what he's doing. And he said, yeah, we'll do this minor procedure. You'll be back on the court in a few weeks. Right. Well, that minor procedure did a couple things. One, he prescribed me painkillers, uh, Vicodin, after that procedure, which I had no idea what a painkiller was. I, when all my friends in high school at my old whole school, high school in the town where I grew up, when they started getting into drugs and drinking, I stayed away from it because I was an athlete. I had my head on straight. You know, my parents, despite not ever having God in the household, we didn't go to church. You know, my, we're Irish. So my father says, you know, we're Irish Catholic. And I think we went to mass like two times on a Christmas Eve, but that was my whole experience with church growing up. My father would watch the Ten Commandments on Easter. And so I was like, I heard the name Moses in, in that movie, but I had no idea. Like, all right, this is in the Bible. I had I knew nothing about the Bible, nothing about religion, nothing about Christianity, nothing about Jesus at all. I, it's so crazy. I didn't even know as a teenager that Jesus was actually in the Bible. I literally knew nothing. I knew nothing. And I didn't grow up under a rock. It was just that my parents didn't have it in the household. I didn't go to church. I didn't. I mean, it's not like we had the internet where I could just Google something about Jesus. That wasn't, we had a whole bunch of encyclopedias, but I, I don't remember. There's no Bibles in the house. <laughs> so I got prescribed that, that Vicodin and I got hooked like that. Uh, you know, the, just the hooks got in me and I loved yeah. the way it felt. And, you know, 
that one back surgery led to a second one. My second year, I never got back on the court. My junior year led to a second surgery. My senior year led to a third surgery the year after I graduated and ultimately led to a fourth one where they actually went in through my stomach to fuse my spine together when I was 24 years old. And But I was hooked from that first Vicodin. And then with all the progressive surgeries, I just got my hands on more and more painkillers. And, you know, I was just crushing Oxycontin, snorting them and taking everything, Oxy's Percocet, Vicodin, Xanax, Valium, taking sleeping pills, the, taking everything I could get my hands on. And what it did for me was it masked the pain that I felt from, all right, my goal and aspiration was to play college basketball. And now that's taken away from me. Around the same time, my parents split up and that was kind of my rock, my foundation. You know, I had a good family structure. Well, that's gone. You know, basketball was my rock. I would, I'd be that, that little boy when during a snowstorm, go to the court, shovel off a little spot by the free throw line, and just stand there and shoot free throws. You know, I, so basketball was my outlet. It was my, my God, really. If I look back on it now, it, it was my, my idol. And mm. so for my family structure to be taken away, basketball to be taken away. And I always mention this, I had a, my, like my first girlfriend at the time, my first love, I was depressed about my injury and my family splitting up. I was depressed. I was miserable. So she broke up with me. No surprise there. But as a teenager, your first love breaks up with you. It's like, <laughs> oh my God, you know, but here I am. I got this little, these pills now that make me feel good yeah, for a few minutes, maybe a couple hours. So I would just take more and more and more. And that wound up from the age of 16. Then in my early twenties, it really kicked off. And then, throughout my whole twenties. And like I said, I was 24 when I had that, that last surgery. And I was so sick of my addiction at that point. After I had my third surgery, the surgeon told me, you know, at some point in life, you're going to have to have your spine fused together, you know, maybe in your forties or fifties, maybe even hold out to your sixties, but you know, this isn't going to be the last back surgery you ever had. So I was 24 years old. I was already getting my hands on whatever drugs I wanted. I could easily, you know, this is before the whole opioid epidemic. Mm. Well, this this was the opioid epidemic. This is why all the laws are in place now to prevent stuff like this, where I could go to any doctor I wanted to just show them my scars and they would right. give me anything that I wanted. And yep. there was no national database to keep track of how many prescriptions I was getting. And I would just go to pharmacy, say I don't have insurance. So my insurance didn't realize, mm. you know, and just pay out of pocket, which was still so much cheaper to pay out of pocket for prescription drugs and get them on the street. And that actually sure. is the fact that they were so easily accessible to me is why I never graduated to like heroin or anything, because I and most people go from pills to heroin because it's cheaper. Well, it was cheap for me to stay on all the pills I was taking. Mm. And there were stretches where I was getting so much, I was able to sell them as well. But I say all that to say, I, by the age of 24, 25, I was, I was an absolute junkie. I was a wreck. I was a mess. And I actually was able to, to maintain a job though. Once I, I had dabbled at at a couple different colleges after yeah. high school, like three different colleges. I think I only went for four total semesters. I only went to, and I went to three colleges. Um, so I dropped out. My life was in shambles. My father told me, and this is when I was 21 years old, I had dropped out of Florida Atlantic University. I've been there for the last year. And I, I said, yeah, I'm not going back to school. He said, well, you've got to do something. I'll, I'll get you a job. So he had retired from the police department, became a director of security for a bunch of hospitals. So he got me a job doing maintenance at one of these hospitals. And believe me, brother, I I didn't yeah. know anything about maintenance. I had I could barely change a light bulb. But he got me this job. <laughs> so here I am with all these these men, like old men that it's like they're in their sixties, some work until their seventies, just like blue collar guys drinking beer every night. And here I am, this 21 year old kid. I'm like, oh my God, it's going to be my future for the next 50 years. But I was able to maintain that job through my addiction because I just had to show up. I worked off shifts, I worked weekends, and I literally just had to manage to swipe my time card and I was left alone. I did my drugs in the maintenance shop and I was able to hold on to that job. By the grace of God, I'm grateful 
today that I was able to hold on to that job. But it was there where I met Lucy. She worked at the hospital and I was probably about 26, 27 when, and I had seen her around and, you know, I told you I was a, a bad dude. I hated myself, hated everybody. I had no respect for anybody. Yeah. So yeah. Lucy was the only woman at the hospital I worked at, the only good looking woman that I didn't try to sleep with. She was just somebody <laughs> for real. There was just something about her where I just, even from a distance, you see her and you just, you respect her. There's something coming off her. It's like, what is this? Like this woman is of value. And she and I quickly became friends and best friends. And like I said, Lucy knew God had a mission for my heart and was using her for that mission. Mm. And we became close and we talk about, and this is all, I'm all circling back to when you said that I'm one who preaches a relationship with the Lord rather than religion. And it's because of the way that Lucy introduced Mm. me to a relationship with Jesus Christ, where I was in the, the darkest place of my life. And honestly, I was suicidal. There was times where I went to bed at night where I took, I was too scared, too much of a pussy to like take all the pills I had, which would surely kill me. But there would be nights where I took just enough where it was like more than normal. And all right, just maybe I won't wake up tomorrow morning, but I was too scared to really do it. But that's where I was. Like I didn't want to live, but I was too scared to die. And, and she told me, she said, well, why don't you wake up in the morning? Well, she didn't say, well, why don't you? She told me because she knew like, she had to, t- she told me, and Al, you know how Lucy is. When she says something, you, you listen. She's a, a woman who, <laughs> she, she, she can hold a room, that's for sure. She's firm in her beliefs, non-questionable. Yeah. So I did it. I'll never forget the first time, the the first time she she told me to do it. I woke up in the morning and I opened my eyes. I looked at the ceiling I said, thank you, God, for waking me up this morning. And I waited. I was, it was just silence. I look around, nothing happened. So I called her up. I said, you know, Lucy, you know, she wasn't babe or booby at the time. Lucy, I did it. I thank God I'm alive and nothing happened. And she just kind of chuckled, said, all right, do it again tomorrow. And I did it for about three weeks before, like two to three weeks before I actually felt like there was something or somebody on the other end just hearing what I was saying. Then I found myself just kind of talking to God throughout the day. And in the meantime, Lucy didn't take me to church because she knew I wouldn't go to church. She didn't open the Bible in front of me because she knows I would have ran out of the room. She prayed with me almost like like ninja-like. She would find a way to just like, she was constantly praying for me. And even times where she would be like laying hands on me and I would kind of like, she would like hold my hand and I'd see her kind of like praying to herself. And I'm like, all right, I think this chick is praying right now. Like, I, I don't want anything to do with this. But she did it in such a way where, and, and I'm talking months and really over the course of a year where I was in her life, where I was doing nothing but causing her like frustration and, and heartache by my behaviors. And we we had these like feelings for each other. I told my mother at the time, I said, I believe I'm going to marry this woman. I said, I don't know how. I had that gut feeling. And, you know, it's funny. Once you have a relationship with the Lord, you can identify that gut feeling sometimes as, you know, all right, this is God talking to me. This is the Holy Spirit talking to me. And I believe it was God telling me at the time, all right, this is your wife. But at the time, she was like, yeah, I had this gut feeling. But I knew, I knew that I knew this woman was special. And I, if mm-hmm. I didn't marry her, it was going to be because I messed up and because I didn't get myself together. And why would anybody want to marry me in the state that I am now? So where I was, I didn't necessarily think that I needed Jesus still. I didn't need a savior. I just needed to be sober. To me, it was just getting off the drugs, getting my, my life, getting my head right. clear and then I'll, I will be good. But that was that was stupid to even think as it was, because there was times throughout the 14 years, because it, I was 30 years old when I finally surrendered to Christ, when I finally got what those chains of addiction just came, 
came falling off of me. That like they shattered and fell to the ground through the power of the Holy Spirit. But it's so stupid to think that, yeah, I just need to get sober and my life will be good because there was times where I detoxed myself and stayed sober for a couple of days and I was absolutely miserable first through the detox. Mm. But then, you know, when you get over, you know, being sick and feeling like you had the worst flu you ever had times a thousand, um, it's just you may physically be sober, but your mind is in bondage still. My mind never stopped thinking about getting high. So it was stupid to think that I just needed to get sober. So Lucy had every reason, and leading up to the day I got saved, Lucy had every reason to kick me out of her life. Um, it was those last couple of weeks that I shared when I developed that relationship with the Lord. And along with her, it, you know, in that sneaky kind of way, just giving me Jesus, sharing Jesus, sharing scripture with me, even like the scripture she had written on the wall in her apartment, you know, just kind of like expounding upon them a little bit. And she knew what would, what would make me run and she knew what would hold my attention. And the Holy Spirit guided her, man. If she did it any other way, I would have ran for the hills. So there was a, a moment around the same time where just a few weeks leading up to this day, and I was driving, she was in the passenger seat of my truck. I got pissed off at something and I wound up to spite her. Mm. And this just shows the lack of respect for myself, for her, the the lack of heart, the and the amount of hatred that just existed within me. To spite her, this mother of four beautiful kids whom I met the kids love me. Lucy's black. Kids are black. So like in their eyes, I was just this, this tall white dude, this cool white dude. You know, like they weren't around a lot of white dudes up to that point in their life. And I was this cool white dude. And they knew they were old enough to know that I had a problem, but not they didn't really get it. Maybe Isaiah. He was he's he's the oldest. He's 24 years old now. Maybe Isaiah got it. But the, the three others didn't. So there, there's this moment where. Despite her, I took out the bottle of pills, which I always had in my pocket, and Oxycontin, Percocets in there, and I just opened the bottle, down the bottle, threw the bottle at her, and I just kind of blacked out. We drove off the, mm. drove off, veered off the road, and only by the grace of God did we come to a rolling stop in a patch of grass, and I'll never forget that moment. Like, that was my rock bottom, where I, I just remember lifting my head up, and I did black out from, like, what I just swallowed and I don't even know how many pills actually made it down my system but I it was just out of rage out of frustration out of just like the hatred that was rooted in my heart I just blacked out and when I lifted my head and lifted my eyes I saw the look of fear in her eyes and it crushed me man it absolutely mm. crushed me here's this woman she's the one person on earth that hasn't like just been so fed up with me that they put up a wall with me because yeah, I alienated everybody in my life, but nobody was knocking down my door to help me. And I know I'm, I'm the reason, like I've made sure I hated everybody right. enough that they just left me alone. But here's this woman where she was the only one that loved me in such a way. And really what I came to find out from all this, the reason why she stood out to me, why she looked different, why she was different from the first time I even ever laid eyes on her was because what I felt, was the Holy Spirit. I felt it from a distance coming off of her, man. And the love that she had in her heart. This is a woman, she had she had four kids to take care of herself. She worked and took care of four kids. Not only that, our godson, we call him our godson, who she's been his spiritual mother. I became his spiritual father. He came to live with her when he was in middle school because his family was homeless. There was another girl that was staying with her, like a cousin's child who you know, the cousin was jacked up and drugged out and she took care of that child. And yeah. it's like, here's this yeah. woman, she's taking care of her four, two others. She's got a heart of gold. She's taking care of me. And here I am. I see that look in her eye, that look of fear in her eyes. Like, what the hell did I just do? I could have killed this woman. I could have killed myself. But if I killed myself, who cares? But I could have killed her by my stupidity, by my selfishness. What am I right. doing? And I said to her, I said, you have every right, and I understand if you kick me out of your life, but please just help me 
get off these drugs. Help me get off these pills. And and she looked at me with this stern look. And that, that look of fear turned to just like ferocity. And again, you know how Lucy is, man. Like she's the strongest woman of God I've ever met in my life. <laughs> she looked at me and she said, I'll still help you. And she, like a lady, let herself out of the car. She called a friend to pick her up. Now I drove home after that. I was just crying my eyes out. And here I am. I developed this relationship with God the best that I could in the short amount of time. I'm just like, God, help me. God, help me. So Lucy, she took me to this Christian counselor. Christian counselor set me up with a rehab in Florida. And I knew in my heart, I'm not good. I'm not getting on this flight. I, I'm too scared to do it. I haven't, I don't even go check the mailbox without a bottle of pills in my pocket. I'm supposed to get on a plane, go to a different state mm. and give them whatever I have on me and stay there for at least 30 days. I can't do that. So the day before I'm supposed to leave, I asked Lucy. And again, like these, the, that week or so, or two weeks after that incident in the truck, she, she still helped me, but from a distance, she guarded herself now. I said, do you mind if I spend the day with you and the kids before I go down to Florida to rehab? And she said, yeah, we'll, we'll spend the day with you. So we go to a park and, you know, hanging out is actually a park across the street from the house that I grew up in, in Jefferson Township, New Jersey, this lake community. And, you know, this is where I grew up. This is the same court that I used to shovel that snow when I was a little boy. And we go up there, we come back to my apartment and they drop me off and I just know, all right, I'm ready. I, I didn't know everything about the Bible. I didn't know everything about Jesus Christ, but Lucy had shared with me the gospel of Jesus Christ. And she allowed me to recognize my need for a savior, not just my need to be sober, but my need for a savior. And they were getting ready to leave. And Lucy was going to pray before she left anyway, but before she even said anything, I said, can we pray before you guys leave? And I'll never forget Mooch, our, our little one. She, well, our youngest daughter, she's 16 now. I can't believe that's our youngest daughter. I'll never forget. And we have a baby boy, Ezzy, who turns one in just a couple of days. Come but, on, Ezzy. Yeah. Mm. So I'll never forget Mooch's precious little face where she looks up and like, pray. Chris doesn't pray. What's this about? I'll never forget that moment. And we we join hands. We form a circle. And Lucy's on my left, and she starts praying. And man, I remember that day so vividly. Aside from when she started praying, I don't know if it was thirty seconds or thirty minutes, but I just know when she started praying, I bowed my head, I closed my eyes, and the tears just started flowing out, started pouring out. It's not just tripping down my face. There's a puddle in front of me. And as he's praying, there is a moment where I realize that in my rebellion against God, my whole life, it, all those years where my relationship with, with God during my addiction was to hate him for my addiction, to blame him for my addiction, to mm -hmm. blame him for my back injury, for anything that was bad in my life, to blame him for it. But I realized in that moment that he wasn't the cause of my problems, but he's more the source of my solution. And I came to realize that. Mm. And, I, and I used to have these fits of rage, man. And I used to put holes in, in the wall in my apartment. I used to literally, like, yep. loud as I could, yep. F you, God, if you're real, I hate you. And, like, put that disclaimer, like, I hate you if you're even real. I don't even know if you're real. But if you're real, I hate you. I'm blaming you for everything. Mm. You're the cause of my problems. But in that moment, man, I realized I understood the Holy Spirit had done a work in my heart. And I understood that God, that Jesus Christ was the source of my solution. And I, it was, I just remember when I surrendered my heart. And believe me, bro, I didn't know. Like Lucy gave me the gospel. She gave me scriptures little by little. She introduced me to prayer, introduced me to a relationship, but I didn't know what it meant to be saved. I didn't know what it meant to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I, I knew that if you said you were filled with the Holy Spirit before this moment in time in my life, I would think you need to be locked up into a mental institution. 
Because that's just nuts. That's crazy. Knocked out. <laughs> I didn't know that when I mm. surrendered everything to Christ in that moment, that I would be filled with the Holy Spirit and that it would feel the way that it felt. I didn't realize that I just had this vivid picture in that moment. And again, like, I don't know if this was 30 seconds or 30 minutes, but I just remember feeling like God was in front of me the whole time when I was running from him, when I didn't believe in him, when I hated him, when I blamed him for everything. He was in front of me the whole time with arms open wide, just waiting me to fall into his arms. And when I did in that moment, when I surrendered, when I took that leap of faith and jumped into the arms of Jesus, I felt that warm embrace. And bro, I, you know, when you're an addict, it's not, it starts as a good thing. You feel great. That's why you become an addict. I experienced a lot of highs as an addict, but no high ever came close to the high I felt when I felt the arms of Jesus wrap, wrap, wrap around me. And I felt his love. And what happened was, like the Bible says, the Holy Spirit came into me. The Holy Spirit made me, my body, my temple, his dwelling place. And God now lived inside of me. And Mm -hmm. in that moment, little did I know in that moment that I would be delivered from my addiction like that. I didn't know that I would be restored. I didn't know that I would be redeemed. I didn't know like I, I would come to read it in, in Joel, the book of Joel, that God restores the years the locusts have eaten. Well, I come to know now that God does restore what's been lost to sin. And that, that verse applies to me because God has restored my life. I still got on the plane, went to rehab the next day, but it wasn't like, bro, such a different mentality. I went down there. They picked me up from the airport. I'm like, I got to let you, I got to tell you what happened to me yesterday. Right. I got to tell you. And I went, I was, <laughs> I was in, I was in and out of detox in two days, man, two days in and out of detox. And I told him, I don't need anything. I don't want some boxing. I don't want to be on anything Come on, man. because I have God living inside of me now. Yep. And it's, it's funny because Lucy still didn't want to like overwhelm me. So she just actually wrote out scriptures for me to meditate on while I was down there. She didn't even give me a Bible yet. Because she knew like she wouldn't be there with me and you could only make like two calls a week from there. So she didn't want me to just be lost with questions in the Bible. So she wrote out scriptures for me to meditate on at that time. And bro, I spent 30 days at that rehab sitting with the Lord. And this rehab was in Florida. It was on the intercoastal. I sat my chair out by that water every morning. I watched the sunrise. I just I just witnessed and took in and basked in the glory of God and his creation. And I spoke to God every morning, every night when we were done, I would take my chair out by the water. I'd sit under the stars and I would talk to God. It was like a 30 day fast, man, where I just got to know the the Lord, the savior who just came in and saved my soul and delivered me from, from this addiction. Dude. So Dude, it's so crazy. They actually, a week into being at rehab, there was some guys lining their chair up outside my door. And I was like, I asked somebody else who was standing by me. I was like, why is everybody lining their chair up outside my door? And one of my roommates, he was a knucklehead. So I figured he actually cocked something. So the person standing next to me, they said, well, they're lining up to see you. I said, see me. Why do they want to see me? I said, I don't know. Everybody's calling you their Christian counselor. I was like, Christian counselor? I just got saved last week. I don't even own a Bible yet. What are you talking about, Christian counselor? And this person said to me, well, I don't know, but they want what you have. And what I have was evident to everybody. It was that relationship with my creator, with my maker, with my savior. And that's what they wanted. And that's why... From that day forward, it's been my mission, my calling, my purpose to share my testimony with others, to help bring others out of the darkness into the light, like Lucy brought me out of the darkness into the light. And it doesn't have to be by picking up a Bible and reading. Believe me, man, you you know me. I don't go anywhere without my Bible. I, I teach Bible studies now. I I've right. I've preached at church. I, I love yep. I love church. I love the word of God. I love digging in, getting to know God on a greater level like that, more intimate level through the word. But it's like, listen, 
don't get this twisted. This ain't about religion. This ain't about rules and restrictions and regulations. This is about a mm. relationship with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's what I want to share with the world. I, I, I think people have it, as you as you touched Man. on earlier, people have this thing jaded. They, they, they have a skewed perspective of what this thing's about, this faith walk is about. And it's about building that relationship with the Lord and then putting your faith and your trust in him. And I'm talking about that trust where, man, when I fell into the arms of Jesus that day, I fell into the arms of Jesus. And and you and I, this makes me think of a conversation you and I had not too long ago. It was before I was the spiritual advisor for King's Council. And I was still just that dude who my, my eyes, I was leaning into the Zoom screens on these coaching calls. I was trying to get to know as many people as I could. And and you asked me, as you were telling me my worth, telling me how great I was, seeing the God that was in me and seeing how I impacted others, you told me when it came to like me taking that jump in life now, you know, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Like, why do you need a safety net to jump? You, you have the greatest safety net of all time, mm. and that's the Lord. So why are you waiting? And, right. And, man, bro, so this all circles back by you're in my testimony now. You know, I've shared my testimony for since I got saved in 2011. I was 30 years old. I'm about to turn 40 in what's today? Wednesday in, in uh, 10 days. I turn I turned 40. But now I've been sharing my testimony for almost a decade. And now I could add something to my testimony and somebody to my testimony. Somebody mm. who's spoken so much life into me. And I just appreciate that, man, so, so much. So much, brother. Man, I received that, brother. Anybody that knows me, very few times when I'm going to get on a podcast, whether it's mine or someone else's, and I'm just going to sit there and, and listen. Not here, but I say the words listen specifically because, man, I've, I've been blessed to be able to hear you share your story multiple times. And every single time I feel it, I don't hear it, dude. I feel it. And, and in part because... Admittedly, I've walked some of the paths that you have. I'm certainly not proud of it, but I know and realize that that in part, just like you, that's my testimony. But we understand that you can't have a testimony right. without first having a test. And that in and of itself is kind of where that came from. So, man, there's a multitude of things that we relate. To. Obviously, every time we get on the phone, I'm like, yeah, dude, there's the alignment. Right. You know, reason number 121 that, you know, there's an alignment between us again. So, man, I say that to say, you know, one thing that, again, that I wanted to make sure that the, the listeners were able to hear and feel was the power of your testimony, the power of that, you know, if you're, that's what the driven view is all about. You know, the misconception is, is, Hey man, you, you're not going to be on the show unless you're financial or you're, unless you're successful. Yeah. Financially success is, is a component of that, but, the driven view. How did you go from the depths of where you were at until where you're at now? And I know where you're at now because you, one, you just shared it. And two, I see you walk that out every day, dude, like to know where you came from. And that's why it was important for me to just basically shut up and listen and let you just speak your truth and your story. Cause I know that there are a multitude of individuals out there that, you know, some people can't relate and good for you, you know, but I know that there's probably more so that, that can, and that understand that, Hey, if this dude can do it, if that yeah. Al can do it, why can't you, you know, so multiple things that you said there, man, and where I have true to our nature, I have three or four notes and some things that I wanted to chat with, but we're, we're getting a little bit long winded here. And I want to make sure that, uh, you know, we, we have a, a part two, but some of the things that you said, man, again, going back into that was, was talking about the power of relationship that certainly brought to fruition. And as evidence between, you know, let's give, let's mm. allow me to give Lucy some honor and respect for her to, to understand not only the relationship with you, but the relationship and have the foresight to have that kind of relationship with God and understand, despite your shortcomings, despite the, we'll say areas of opportunity of growth. She still understood. I mean, even after the car incident, that would have been enough right. for most sane people yep. to to roll out, you know. But Lucy, like you, doesn't lead with her mind. 
she's very easy drops down that 11 inches from your brain to your heart. And those are the people that I want to align with. Those are the people that, you know, regardless of religion, regardless of situation, regardless of circumstance, which if you can truly and genuinely walk around and know, like you trust in something that is so much higher than an incident or a situation and just know to be able to be that, like if she hadn't done that, yeah, you, you probably wouldn't be here today, bro. I mean, let's just be a hundred, and and we certainly wouldn't be having this conversation by by any means. So I know Lucy's going to listen to this. Honor and respect to you, Lucy. I love you for allowing me to love on your husband, for allowing him to be here and love on him. And I'm 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 proud of you for for who you are. Um, man, it, this is getting me in my emotions now. So this is. This is probably a good time for us to to segue and understand that there is a round two. Man, I, I know, again, where your heart is at. I know what your goals are, and I want to speak that into existence. I know that your objectives are to be able to, to bring God in the hearts of man. But I also know that, you know, your earthly self wants to be able to really show people, how do I go from shit yeah. to where I'm at now? And I know that, well, I'm not even going to say one clinic. I'm going to say multiple clinics or or hope centers, yeah. I believe, was your vernacular as, as you described it. You want to chat a little bit about that just briefly? Yeah, real quick, man. And I, I received those words you just bestowed upon me, man. And I received them on behalf of Lucy. And I know once she listens to this, she's going to smile and say, I received that out because she's learning the championship language. She's learning the <laughs> championship vernacular and how to receive wisdom or receive honor herself. So mm. thank you for those, those words. Yeah, brother. Yeah. So my, my ultimate vision, and it wasn't until now, really the last six months and really the last three months where I, I came, I was able to quit my job as a hospital maintenance guy, um, where Steve and, and Riley Meek, they made it happen. Come on, man. Yeah. They made it happen. And I, I got to give honor to Riley in particular. I mean, Steve, you know, my heart with Steve, you know, I love him to death. This man has mentored me and has helped pull every gift that's within me out and activate it. He's given me permission to walk in my gifts, man. And so honored to him. I love that man forever for that. But Riley Meek was the guy in particular who yeah, made it possible financially for me to quit my job as a hospital maintenance guy after 19 years to be full-time as a spiritual advisor to mm. King's Council, where I could just every single day get on calls, love on people, do Bible studies, pray with people, just help help them through whatever anybody's going through. And I just got to give honor to Riley for that. And my ultimate goal, my ultimate, well, my ultimate vision, which yeah, honestly man. up until recently was just a pipe dream because it's like, how could this ever possibly happen? And I, I didn't have the belief. I, what what I had was self-limiting beliefs is what I had, which through guys like you and yeah, Steven, Riley right. and Scott and Connor Mead and Tevin Schindler, you guys helped. Man, I didn't just break through those self-limiting beliefs, man. Those things shattered. They exploded. And mm. when you guys helped to help, Come on, help me to see who I was and the value of who I was. And it's crazy because I'm, I'm the guy I'm I'm. I'm pouring into others, allowing others to see how valuable they are in the eyes of the Lord and how special they are and how beautiful and miraculous they are. And here I am just hitting yeah. my head on the ceiling that I put in place myself. So the, these hope centers, man, and it's going to start with one, but God willing, man, and I'll speak it into existence that there's going to be multitudes of them where the center where, listen, we need hope. It's in my personal contract through King's Council. My personal contract is I am a fearless beacon of light, spreading the hope and love of mm. Jesus Christ with intention and fervency. And, and I know that the hope. Yes, you are. Come on, brother. Come on. I know that the, the hope and love aspect <laughs> is what people need, man. And that there's so many people lacking hope and lacking love. And you don't need to be a Bible scholar. You don't need to be a theologian. You don't need to be a pastor to give others hope and love mm. in Jesus Christ. You just have to be somebody who has a relationship with them, who has been rocked by the Holy Spirit yourself, and now share that with somebody else. If the love of Jesus is in you, you can love on somebody else with that type of mm. love. And you can brighten their day. You can change their life. 
So I want, I desire, I'm going to have these hope centers where, and not hope, you know. Plant that flag, dude. Yeah, Come on now. Yeah. Worldly hope, the, the way we use the word hope now, it, it conveys doubt. But biblical hope, there's no doubt. It's 100% going to happen. There's assurance. There's no doubt at all when we talk about biblical hope. And it's going to be a hope center where young men, young women, they walk through those doors and they have hope in their lives. They feel love for the first time in their lives where, listen, they'll have job training. There'll be schooling. There's going to be an orphanage. There's going to be a drug rehab. And we're going to make this happen. Any, Come on. Any person in the world who's lacking hope and love, they'll be able to walk into this building and their life is going to transform. And, bro, I I have the, the vision already of you as that custom home builder, man, of your hands and your eyes being on the blueprints for this. And I know, mm. yeah, man. So that's what it is. It's going to happen. And I know now it's no longer just a pipe dream. Now, um, through alignment, the alignment, these relationships are so important. I mm. Anybody listening to this right now, if you have people in your life that aren't going out of their way to make your life better on the regular, you got to question why that person's in your life. You really do. Because there's people out there like an Al Hammond, who I know every mm. single day, this dude is rooting for me. He's rooting for me, my family, that my kids. I know he loves my son, Ezzy. Mm. Like, he's never even been able to hold my son, Ezzy, yet. And yeah, he loves man. my son, Ezzy, as if it's his own yeah, son. Yeah, man. So he's rooting for me every single day, and I'm rooting for him. Yeah. And these are the relationships that are allowing us to just excel, to level up, to walk out the calling that God has in our lives. And God will align you with the right people. But guess what? Let's not get caught up in the people that, that all right, mm. sometimes people are in your life for a season, and it's time to, to be done with that. And we just hold on to them for one reason or another. But I know relationships they're mm. there for a reason a season or a lifetime i know my relationship with alice for a lifetime with riley meek is for a lifetime with steve weatherford is for a lifetime and we're going to continue to, yeah, to sharpen each other we're going to pour into one another we're gonna grow we're going to do life together and listen sky's the limit hope hope centers uh, mm. how about let's take them overseas let's go to other countries yeah, bro. let's change the world man Let's change the world. We got the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. The same power that raised Jesus from the grave lives inside of us who believe. So come on, you're trying to tell me a hope center is a pipe dream? Yo, remember when I opened up this podcast and I was like, listen, this dude is is the epitome of real, raw, and organic. And if you didn't listen to that part, go back into that part because that was me matter-of-factly, absolutely speaking that into existence. And now you know. Now hopefully... I don't want to say hope. Trustfully, you guys had an opportunity to see, to hear, to feel the amount of passion coming out of this dude. And man, and this guy is just getting started. This is very, very early on. And I, I mean, I can see it, man. I'm proud of you didn't say this, man. And we can, we can kind of end on this. I heard you say faith, hope, mm-hmm. and love. And the greatest of these is love. Come on. I mean, a wise man once said that, you know what I mean? So I'll leave it at that, man. If I am Tim Smith or John Jones or insert name here, and I don't know who you are, but I'm sitting in my car, I'm sitting in an office, I'm sitting somewhere, and I just feel the absolute need to be able to get a hold of you, talk to you, get in your musk. (laughs) How do the listeners get a hold of you, brother? My Instagram is christianedwards249. And that 249 represents Luke chapter 2, verse 49, where Jesus says, I'm about my father's business. That's what I'm about. I'm about my father's business. So Christian Edwards 249, you could reach me through our King's Council coaching Instagram. Shoot, man. You DM anybody in our circle, and they'll get the message to me. You, If you know Al, you know Steve, you know anybody, they'll get the message to me. Yeah, man. Track me down. I'd love to connect, love to chat. If you have any questions about the Bible, any questions about my relationship with the Lord, if you are down and out, you want prayer, find a way to connect with me, guys. That's good, man. And I can tell you, again, firsthand, this dude means it. I've literally seen him in meetings, step out of a meeting or step out of a call to be able to field a phone call or a message from someone that quite candidly, he doesn't know, but he can feel that they're, they're in need of something. And whether that's a conversation, a hug, 
uh, or kicking the ass. I mean, he, he's, he's, well, maybe he leaves that kick in the ass part to me, but you know, <laughs> that's his heart a little bit different, but I say that to say, I encourage you to reach out to Christian. And again, you know, if you have issues, get in my DMS, reach me and I, I'll make sure that you can connect with Christian. So brother, this is one of many, man. I appreciate you showing up as you always do leading with your heart again, without fear or judgment of anyone, man, that is reason number 17 why i love you brother i'm proud to have aligned with you i'm proud to do life with you man and i'm looking forward to continuing to doing more bro same here i love you man more than you know thank you for tuning into this episode of the driven few with al hamid if you love what you heard and i know that you did please follow us on apple and spotify and leave us that 10 star review All right, if you can't find 10, we will gladly accept that five-star review. You can also connect with me, Al Hamid, on both Instagram and Facebook. Al Hamid, H-A, M is in Mary, E is in Edward, D is in Diesel. And as always, don't forget to subscribe and like.